We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Like I said, we're going to go week to week. There's, there's things that we'd love to see Zach uh, accomplish uh, over the course of, uh, we'll call it a reset, but, um, and this is Mike White's opportunity. That doesn't change. So Mike's got an opportunity to go stack another uh, great day up uh, this week. And, um, when, when we feel like Zach is ready to roll, he's going to roll. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Robert Sala talking about a, quote-unquote, reset period for Zach Wilson as a starting NFL quarterback. <laughs> it's not a... It's not a reset period. That, wait, what, what is a re- Let's see if we can define this, Chris. What is a reset Miami period? Did, Miami did one last year with Tua. He got benched for Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick came in for, what was it, the Raider game? That they ultimately, I think, won. Like around Christmas. That was Tua's reset period. And then they just... Fired the coach at the end of the year. <laughs> they fired the coach because they were like, hey, you know what you don't do with quarterbacks? You don't reset. Like, resetting isn't a real thing. No. What Sunday was is Zach Wilson's career as a starter is over. Well, here's the technical definition. So, right, like, if you go to, if you Google the, just the term reset and just look for a definition... A reset clears any pending errors or events and brings a system to a normal condition or an initial state, usually in a controlled manner. By technical definition, a reset is supposed to return Zach Wilson to what? The quarterback we watched last year? No, the quarterback that we saw two weeks ago. And that was the only time he's looked competent all season. (laughs) That's it! He has one game. What are you trying to reset him to exactly? 
No, Mike White will probably be the starter. Oh, what a hilarious mess. Uh, and so we kick this disaster of a podcast off with Christian Simonelli talking to us about the Patriots who also played on Thanksgiving Eve. Christian, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was fine up until about 11, 11 at night. I, I have to ask, does playing football, because like this has been a Bills, what now, three times in four seasons, the Bills have now played on Thanksgiving Day. Does having a football game of your own team, like obviously we all love Thanksgiving because it's a day where you just sit around, you get fat, you drink more than you should, but it doesn't matter because <laughs> right. you're not going to work tomorrow anyway. And, yep. you inevit- and you just get to watch football all day long. It's a different thing altogether when your own team is playing. And the Bills have dealt with this for three of the last four years. This is the first time I can remember you guys playing on Thanksgiving in a long time, isn't it? Butt fumble? Uh, yeah, I think that was the last time, actually. Um, and the time before that was like three years before, before that, uh, or two years before that against Detroit. So, yeah, it was, it was the Jets in that primetime game, and then it hasn't been anything since, right? Does it ruin your day, or does it just derail the normalcy of your Thanksgiving the way it does mine? Um, well, if it was earlier, like you guys, like it would, because my wife and I host the holiday, so the eight o'clock slot is perfect because everybody's like, you know, getting ready to conk out, looking for coffee, and we're done serving everything, and everybody's just sitting around. So the early game would be tough. I, it'd be tough to to to, to catch any of it, really, quite frankly. Yeah, see, we we did the early game, and I'll tell you what, it was all for the best because my vegan brother decided that he had to have what portobello mushrooms. <laughs> so I, I and I just looked around and said, you know what, the hell with this football game. I'm going outside to man the grill because I got to cook these fucking mushrooms. And I grabbed my brother and I was like, listen, asshole, you're coming with me. Why? What do I know about grilling a mushroom? You're gonna tell me. You're gonna tell me when this stupid thing is done. <laughs> And and with that, I spared my family being subjected to... Chris, you see me in high-pressure situations during football games. Yeah, you always think we're going to lose. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah. It, it literally saved my family, the fact that it was being played during that 1 o'clock hour. It saved our entire holiday. I'm always just interested <laughs> to see how other families do things. It sounds like you guys might not be the raging lunatics that, uh, that, that unfortunately have to deal, or at least the, the ones that people who have to deal with someone like me. No, there's nobody quite like you. <laughs> so looking at you guys, you lost to the Vikings 33-26, to but I got to tell you, for a team that's offense has struggled the last two months, you guys look to have a little bit of punch. The offense was probably the most composed I've seen it all season. How many of you guys in the Patriots fan base did that catch off guard? Um, a lot of us because of how bad the previous game looked against the Jets. Um I'd say that that was probably the most comfortable Mac has looked in almost a year. Um, he was pretty deliberate in his decisions. He looked confident throwing the ball down the field. Um, when a play wasn't there, he got rid of it. Um, he didn't try to force anything in. No turnovers this game, which you know ended a streak for him. I think went back like seven or eight games in a row that he had at least one turnover. But again, as I tweeted, you know, uh, the seesaw continues. The defense w- w- looked awful. Um, so as far as like an overall game grade, happy with the offense, certainly that they actually have a pulse and they, they're alive. But 
now here we go. The defense against a better a better opponent has has reared its ugly head again. Well, and that's what's surprising to me because like your defense has been the thing that carried you guys in your victories. The reason you're winning this many games this season. The script got flipped in this one, and yet it was the defense that was disappointing you. Meanwhile, you've got Mac Jones, who's had a terrible time, a well-documented terrible time throwing the football down the field this season. 9 of 12, 220 yards and two touchdowns on throws with 10 or more air yards. Like, who for, for a minute, like you see it and you go, is this like, did they sneak somebody else into the stadium wearing his uniform? Like what's what's happening? Who did they borrow this guy from? Protection looked solid. Like the protection looked or, or at least okay. I mean, it wasn't it, was. it wasn't perfect, but it was better. It was better than it had been. I I don't know. I just I take a look at this and I say to myself, how is it that the offense finally puts a game together and the defense is the one that falls asleep at the wheel? It's maddening because you would love for it to be married together. You know, you guys have been through this with one side of the ball, you know, you know, does one thing for so many games, then the other side of the ball finally does something. But then that other side of the ball that was carrying you, much like this game, doesn't show up. Um, I, I firmly believe that there's a difference between game planning and coordinating. Matt Patricia put together a good game plan for the offense, he attacked the, the, the weaknesses in, in, in the Minnesota secondary. They went deep. But here's where the issue of, of lack of an experienced coordinator comes into play. I believe Josh McDaniel's greatest strength when he was here was adapting to his game plan. Okay, I have this game plan, and I've played scripted 15 plays, or I've gone through a quarter. What's the defense doing? Now I need to adjust that game plan. He never really adjusted, and that's sort of where the offense fell short in this game, despite the defense giving up 33. Um, and what I mean by falling short is they were 0 for 3, the Patriots, in the red zone, and they kicked a bunch of field goals. That's sort of where I, the game, to me, was lost. I'll tell you, I know all about getting pissed off about the red zone. <laughs> I, I know what that feels like. No, and then meanwhile, you watch your counterparts over there, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, their top two wide receivers. You, this Patriots secondary has done a really great job of shutting down passing attacks or at least limiting the damage they can do all season. But to your point, you go up against an act like a prolific offense. You're not talking about, and that, and that's where I wonder how much these stats are skewed. Like for you guys as fans, when you were seeing this. Do you guys, because on paper, as an, as someone looking from the outside in, I say, okay, well, they, they rank very favorably in so many different categories. They're in the top five, the top ten for all of these different defensive categories. But then when you have games against good quarterbacks with star offensive players, you watch that kind of come apart a little bit. And you watch you know, early on, you guys, when you're looking at it now, you're saying, okay, we... Got Tua and we lost badly, but we held him. Like the defense held, the defense suppressed the offensive production. Then you go, okay, our win against the Steelers. Well, Mitch Trubisky sucks. We all know he sucks. There's a reason he's riding pine for a rookie right now. Right. Lamar Jackson is not a prolific passer, but you guys held him to 206, and you say to yourself, okay, well, our cornerbacks are doing their job. 244, 211, but you're talking about 
Aaron Rodgers, who's not quite Aaron Rodgers anymore. The Lions, when they didn't have any of their skill players. And Jared Goff, who I genuinely believe Bill Belichick has Jared Goff's number. But going back to that (laughs) Super Bowl, he just, he knows the kid. He knows how he's wired. And he's like, oh, no, this is what he does. And we're going to take it all away. Make him reinvent what he is as a player. So then you come out of that. And you say to yourself, all right, we should be able to suppress these guys. And then you start getting real quarterbacks, which you're going to see a bunch of here shortly. And they immediately just go to work on you guys. And you watch what real top-end wide receiving talent can do to your – how disappointed were you to see that your cornerbacks couldn't hold up against those two receivers? Honestly, I kind of thought they were frauds. Uh, And and I texted you that yesterday. Yes, you did. We were going back and forth. I – I mean, I, 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 this is a common theme in the past three seasons. Okay, where they've done this, they've beat up on the uh, on on the scrubs, and they should have. But then they get to a game where there are one or two offensive skill plays, and they just go off. You guys know better than anybody that Bill Belichick, for years, has always taken away an offense's number one option. He really hasn't been able to do that the past two or three years. Um, he he has allowed guys. I mean, now listen. As you know, Justin Jefferson is otherworldly. He went off this game. I don't – Adam Thielen is not the same player that he was. And he looked like the guy from two years ago in this game. TJ Hawkinson, who they shut down against Detroit when he was with Detroit earlier in this year. Again, he had golf thrown through him. I get it. But still was able to do his damage in this game. So you had Jefferson, you had Thielen, you had Hawkinson. I mean, those three players right there had 24 receptions and over 200 yards receiving. You would never see that. It would If you were going to get beat by an opponent, it would usually be the Bill making that quarterback throw to the third, fourth, or fifth guy to make hay. And it's the top options that made hay. And that's that's been a common thing. Um, around here, we're very used to, see, to saying, geez, that's uncharacteristic of the Patriots, or that's uncharacteristic that Bill wasn't able to to shut down the, the offense's top option. And it's been kind of characteristic now the past two or three years where that's that's been the norm. This isn't 2016 anymore. It's 2021, 20, 22, and it's a different it's, it's a different team. It's a different. It's totally different. So this is one of the, I guess, the, one of the more crushing things for Patriots fans to come out of this loss. Not just the fact that you lost. Well, first of all, what the fuck is a catch? Does anybody actually know? I anymore? have no idea. No I was t- idea. So, so there's a, a, a coworker of mine who is famous on the Internet because he has Patriots stickers all over his vehicle. And he drives around Western Europe, but I mean gratuitous. <laughs> and he flies flags. And it's absurd. And he drives around Buffalo like that. And it so he's the guy I talk to about, you know, whatever Bill's Patriots week comes up. And it's kind of special because this is going to be the last one that he still works with us for. Uh, like he's retiring at the end of the year. And okay. so this is my last chance to talk shit all week and break balls with him and talk about it and then come back and roast him if we, you know, talk about the, the aftermath. So I was talking to him about it today and he said the thing that sucked most about that loss is that it just hit our playoff chances so hard. And he's right. You you go to 538.com and you look at it, 19% swing from if you won that game to lost that game or where you were pregame. You're in this weird spot now with six wins on the books. Like Just all season you've been, you've said over and over again that you didn't think that this New England team was good enough to make the playoffs. And you'd prefer 
that rather than flirt with it, they'd just get a better draft pick. Mm-hmm. You're now on course to do what the Bills did for a fucking decade, which <laughs> is this thing where you go, hey, okay, we're we're a, a pretty decent football team. We're not in over our heads against the NFL's worst talent, right? We're too talented and too well-coached to win less than five games. But we're not good enough to make it to the nine to ten wins it's going to take to make the playoffs. And so then what are we doing here? And you end up in this weird no man's land. And if you stay there for too long, the overall quality of your franchise becomes painfully mediocre. How is that reality sinking in with fans? Like when you guys are hearing the call-in shows, when you're listening to seeing the message boards and other fans that you interact with on social media and stuff, how many people are in favor of the Patriots continuing this flirtation with the playoffs versus potentially falling just short and kind of screwing you guys over in the future? People around here are in love with going to the playoffs. It's all they know. That's, that's true, all though. they know. It's twenty years. That's all, twenty years of domination right. will do that. That that's all they knew, and 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 unfortunately for for, for most of them, um, you have the you never know. All you got to do is get in mentality, and anything can happen. Which yeah, that's great. I can walk around too and stick my head in the sand and hope for something good to happen. Like come on, let's be realistic here. You've watched this team now for almost three months. Okay, this is not a playoff caliber team. This is not a Super Bowl team. This is not a championship drive team. But people get this thing in their head. Well, we go on a run, and, and it's, you just you just got to get in. You just need a ticket to the dance. All right, come on, you need a ticket to the dance. Yeah, we get it. And everybody points to Cincinnati last year, or you know, dozens of other examples of teams that. They uh, got that it. But wait, dozens of other examples like the uh, yeah, the, the Giants. The Giants. <laughs> I didn't have to, you didn't have to go and say them and shoot below the belt, but that's fine. It's you. I love you anyways. Um, but yeah, it's true. Like it, it's, it's just, I, they haven't. And I, so I said this to you guys in August when we spoke, this is a seven, eight win team. They got six wins right now. I don't see them getting another two, three, four wins to qualify for the playoffs. You're going to need at least 10 to make the playoffs. And you got two against you, one against Cincinnati, one against Miami. You got Arizona and then the Raiders thrown in there. So you're going to get four wins out of that. I just, I don't see it. I really don't. And I just, I don't. What you mentioned earlier about being just good enough, you know, to be on the fringe, you're basically in like the Bermuda Triangle now Mm -hmm. of teams where. You're not high enough in the draft or you don't have the capital enough to go out and make a big move to improve your team. You're just sort of sitting there middling. And that's troubling because, like we said, the, the the division is as great as it's good as it's been in, in years. I mean, this is a good division now, top to bottom. Um, so I, you have to get better in a lot of spots. Well, not Me only get better. have to get better in a lot of spots. And I think one of the, the one of the more like long term, if you want to take this and extrapolate it to the future, Chris, look at Matt Judon. Look at Matt Judon's Twitter account on free agent signing day. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> this is a Patriots team that can no longer just, hey, we're going to cut you. Uh, we're, you're going to give us a team friendly deal, but you're going to get to come play with a Hall of Famer and chase a ring. 
you guys don't have the gravitas that you used to in the free agent market. So realistically, if you guys are trying to land a quote-unquote star that can be a franchise-changing talent or put you guys farther down the road to interdivisional and interconference contention, it's unfortunately going to have to come to the draft. And that's kind of the problem with the, with the way the Patriots are built right now. They don't have a whole lot of that drafted talent, either the, or just that aren't healthy, that aren't contributing, that never panned out. It's been too many missed opportunities in the draft. So the way you fix that is having the highest draft pick possible so that you can land yourself a sauce gardener. That's a no-brainer. Just, we have to take this guy. Now, right. you're, ba- now you're trusting your scouting department that has, by and large, let you guys down. You're trusting your GM, Bill Belichick, who has, by and large, let you guys down over the last 10 years in the, in the, this is how you get here. So it's yep. just, it's just funny to me that we're here talking about this and that it's, and for everybody out there in the Patriots fan base, who's going, well, you know, you just got to make it. You never know what's going to happen. You could go on a miraculous <laughs> run to a Super Bowl, or you could waltz into Buffalo and catch a shovel to the face. That's also <laughs> a thing that could happen. Just keep that in mind. More, more than likely, that's the possibility. <laughs> Christian, yes. love you. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Right back at you, uh, at Chris with the T-A-N. And uh, give me a follow, I'll follow you back. And like I always say, we can bathe in each other's misery or you can just bathe in mine if you want. <laughs> so we move along to the New York Jets who blew out the Bears 31 to 10. Chris, we almost got, I really, really thought we were going to get the Nathan Peterman experience. Yeah, I was hoping that too. They teased us all with that, but now Trevor Simeon went out there and, you know. Did Trevor Simeon things. Did Trevor Simeon things. And here to talk about it is Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, first of all, how excited did you get when you heard the Peterman news? It was the weirdest chain of events because first you hear Fields might try to give it a go, which I wasn't believing because. The guy has separated AC joint his shoulder. There's no way. Like, what's the value for the Bears in doing that, right? And I know Matt Eberflus isn't that stupid. So I figured that's not going to happen. But then it's, okay, it'll be Trevor Simeon. Then shades of 1996 when Neil O'Donnell got hurt in warm-ups and was out for the season. That's what it sounded like when you heard Trevor Simeon hurt himself in warm-ups, his oblique, and now we're going to see Nathan Peterman. So I'm like, all right, well – if the Jets can't beat the Bears at home with Nathan Peterman, there's no hope for this team. And then Simeon ended up playing anyway, so I was very confused by the whole situation. But, yeah, I don't even know how Nathan Peterman's on a practice squad anymore after what we've all seen from him, but that was definitely a bullet that he dodged because I don't think he wanted any part of what Trevor Simeon ended up dealing with yesterday. Chris, I I think I have an idea of how it happened. All right. I'm going to paint the picture for you. So they're out there on the practice field. They're throwing. They're warming up. Trevor Simeon throws a ball. And he goes, ah, ah, and he grabs his ribs. He's like, oh, my God, my oblique. That's, oh, my God, it hurts so bad. And he goes back in, and they're sitting in the locker room, and they're talking about what they're going to do. And they're like, all right, well, I, you know, I I don't know. I still think we should play Trevor, maybe Nathan Peterman, whatever. And someone heard maybe Nathan Peterman, and they ran to the journalists with it. So that became a headline. And then while they're sitting back there, they're like, man, maybe we should still play Trevor. I don't know. He seems like he's shaking it off a little bit. He thinks he can go. And Nathan Peterman got up off the bench and like in the longest yard, like Brucey, and was like, hey, 
How come I can't be quarterback? How come I can't start? And they threw him a ball. And Matt Eberflus said, okay, fine. Throw me the ball. And Nathan Peterman threw it and hit one of their defensive tackles in the hands from across the, <laughs> across the room. And he was like, see, that's it. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> Simeon, and, you're in. <laughs> and then he went and got a beer with Christian Hackenberg. Exactly. He was like, hey, listen, <laughs> you get out of here. So you guys destroyed the Bears, dismantled them in every facet of the game, and it was a rousing start to the Mike White era. Two point, Mike White 2.0 in New York City. Didn't he also have like an impressive victory to start his start like his run last year? Yeah, he did against the Cincinnati Bengals. That was when he had over 400 yards passing. He was something like 38 for 45. The the Mike White thing is interesting because I think really, and we talked about this last week, Salah was put into a position where he had no choice. The locker room was lost. And I think, honestly, if Zach Wilson, and this is just my opinion, if Zach Wilson hadn't been such a disaster at the post-game press conference, I think Salah probably would have started him and just had a quick hook with him. But I think those comments just lost the locker room to the point where he realized it, he had to pull the trigger on this. Well, you and had I'm to. Glad. You're philosophically yeah. showing that you're not on the same page as your number. Uh, you're a second-year player. You're supposed to be one of the guys who, quote-unquote, gets it, specifically for the young guys in the locker room who are going to look up to you as the starting quarterback. And instead, you have Garrett Wilson, who's basically saying what everybody in the locker room is saying after that game. And the guy who's supposed to be your leader is on his own completely different page. You cannot have that as an NFL franchise. You just can't. And so he really did step in it there. Yeah, 100%. And I think what would happen was Salah realized he had no choice. He had to do it. And look, we'll see with Zach Wilson. Maybe this is the end for him with the Jets. Maybe not. But it was it was something that had to be done. The team was six and four, and they still have hopes of making the playoffs. So they had to make this move. And the Mike White thing is interesting because last year he had that big game against the Bengals. He was doing well against the Colts on national TV. Then he got hurt. Josh Johnson ended up coming in. And then Mike White had a disastrous game against the Patriots, which seems to be the way for everybody who plays quarterback for the Jets, not named Mark Sanchez or Geno Smith, the last two guys to beat the Patriots at quarterback for the Jets before Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, yeah, it it was a really um, crazy situation just before Thanksgiving. And then Mike White goes in there and, look, The thing with Mike White is he has his obvious strengths and weaknesses. And if you watch Mike White, what he's good at is the quick strike short game, and which is exactly what he did. He was executing. He he got the ball off to about 10 or 11 different receivers, which is crazy. I think the stat going into yesterday is that 40% of his completions are running backs. He does a lot of short passes, guys that will get you four, five, six yards. But he moves the chains. The problem, of course, with Mike White is eventually you run into teams that that will say, "Okay, we're going to take that away from you. Let's see if you can beat us another way. And when the Patriots did that, he couldn't do it. And a big part of the reason is because Mike White has a little bit of a case. I, I like what Bill Simmons used to call this. He's an irrational confidence guy. He thinks he's better than he is. So he makes throws or attempts throws that he probably shouldn't try. And we saw that yesterday, too, in that game against the Bears where Mike White had a handful of passes that 
were very dangerous, very easily could have gotten picked off, but either got knocked away or uh, a receiver made a play. The one that sticks out, of course, is the one with Garrett Wilson that ended up becoming a 54-yard touchdown where it was about two inches above the leaping ability of Eddie Jackson, and it ended up going into the arms of Garrett Wilson, who made a tremendous play and got into the end zone. And so that's what you get with Mike White. He can competently run the offense. He's decisive. He's confident. He's he's going to be able to execute that that quick strike short game, intermediate areas. But if that gets taken away, then you have to see if the Jets and Mike White are able to figure out a way to counteract that and be successful. If they can be successful in ways other than that, then the Jets are going to be a problem for other teams. If other teams figure out a way to take that away and then Mike White just can't do anything, well, then Mike White's not going to really have much utility going forward and who knows what happens from here. But for now, if you're a Jets fan, you got to be happy. The Jets, if the season ended today, would be in the playoffs. They're 7-4. and four. Tough stretch coming up, including a rematch with the Bills in a couple of weeks. But they're right there, and this is all Jets fans said they wanted. They said they wanted – uh, meaningful games in December, and now you got it. So, well, first of all, it's hilarious that you're describing, like the way you're describing Mike White playing the quarterback position is the way I spent my 20s hitting on women. Just irrational <laughs> confidence, based, based not not on a single shred of reality. Just, hey, we're out here freewheeling. Let's try it. Let's see how far we can get. What's the worst thing that happens, right? Chris, the Werther's original? Yep. Tell me that's not a bold move. That's what Mike White is, the Werther's original. Yeah, it's where you approach a group of women. For those of you who listeners who don't know the story, uh, one of my go-to moves when I was trying to pick up women or just break the, not even pick up women because I didn't have that. Like, that's not my, I didn't go out. My thing was I went out to just drink and have as much fun as I possibly could. And I just was like, hey, we're all, we're all here to have a good time. That's like, some people found that charming. Some people found that horrifying. Well, <laughs> I also, because I don't have any shame, I ended up being the icebreaker for a lot of my friends. Well, one of the ways I would do it is there would be groups of women, and my friends would be talking to them like, oh, man, those girls are really those girls are really hot. We want to go talk to them. Yeah, I, I kind of made small talk with that girl, but she's with her friends. And I, and I was like, what do you mean she's with her friends? What are you, what, what are you scared of them? They're not going to eat you. So... <laughs> They'll just tell you to tell you to fuck off. So I'd go over there. Now, when I went out, just ever to, to this day in my glove box right now, there is a box of Werther's original minis. They're in this little dispenser. I would get them at the you know the top pops up. There's almost like a little delivery chute. It's awesome. I would just have that in my pocket because I like Werther's. Like who doesn't like a butterscotch? <laughs> so I'd be at the bar and I'd walk up to this group of women and just hold it out and just be like, ladies. Can I interest any of you in Werther's and the looks and reactions you would get? Like, shoot your shot. One of you's going to talk to me. You have to. You're almost physically compelled to at least acknowledge the fact that there's a guy with bad teeth offering you one of the most obscure candies in a bar. Like, you have to address that. And then as you do, it starts a conversation. Whether that goes well or not, I don't know. But it's the confidence to get in there and take that swing. Mike White has it. The question is, is it going to end up? Is he going to end up sealing the deal, or is he going to end up like me, just looking like a horse's ass? That's- well, you know how it is, Drew. What it comes down to is, <clears throat> and we've seen this with a lot of quarterbacks over the years. There's 
sometimes only a matter of inches between a pick six and a completed pass. And so when you have big time arm talent like Tony Romo or Brett Favre or somebody like that, you take those swings and you say, okay, I trust my arm. I'm not worried about it. And yeah, of course you're going to have some turnovers, but you figure you're going to hit those home runs more than you're going to get picked off with Mike white. He doesn't quite have the arm talent of those guys. So it's a little riskier, but when he places the ball perfectly, which he was doing a lot of the way against the bears, that's great. But then of course, when you go up against, like I said, better defenses, it gets a little more challenging. And as I said, you know, you look at his history of turnover worthy throws when he's played and he's been among the highest in the league. There's a little bit of a, a Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke kind of thing with that, where you have those guys, again, the irrational confidence guys, the guys that are, they think they're better than they are and all that. But I will say as far as competently executing what Mike LaFleur wanted on offense, Mike White gave him exactly what he wanted like I said, moving around, using his feet. And the other thing is, and this is one thing you didn't see from Zach Wilson, decisiveness and ability to deal with the, the rush. When I remember there was one play in particular, and it ended up being a, a really big game for Ty Johnson on a screen. They, they sent the house at him, and Mike White just kind of stepped a little bit to his left and tossed the ball over to Ty Johnson, who took it for a big first down. So, those are the positives and negatives you get with Mike White. But like you said, it's the Werther's original principle, right? <laughs> you live by the Werther's, you die by the Werther's. In, in Mike White's world, he's he's got that confidence, which allows him to, to make those throws, to process those decisions quickly. But sometimes it's going to come in and burn them. So you, you, you want a guy who's not afraid, who has the confidence to make those throws, but you also want a guy who maybe understands when to take those risks and when not to. And then as we alluded to, like with the with the, the reason we opened with what we did for this show, because <clears throat> you're talking about confidence, and you know, this is where my mind goes. Robert Sala right now is showing off the fact that he has, for being a second year coach of a team that didn't really he didn't wow anybody in his first season as the Jets head coach. He's showing at least if nothing else that he has a very firm grasp on what that locker room is emotionally and how he's handling these things. Now, here we are talking about all the virtues of Mike White. Well, Mike White was doing all the things that Zach Wilson, by his pedigree, by his draft status, by what his status in the, you know, in the minds of league pundits was. There's a guy on a bench who can do what you're doing better. And unfortunately, it's for the best of our football team that you sit. And that's the big controversy of the week. But I think it's also the way he's approaching this is not only he's trying to keep the locker room together, but he's doing it in the best coach way, which is I see that there's a guy at running back in James Robinson. He's got all of the press. He's got all of the positivity. Football fantasy football fans know him. NFL pundits know him. Every we traded for him. We gave up draft capital to get this guy. But you know what? I think I can get something out of somebody else who I like the way that they're practicing, the way they're doing things behind closed doors. Sit the bench, James Robinson, because Bam Knight needs a game. And he went out and had one. He went out and had a game for you guys. He showed well in that regard. So when you see that, you know, not just, I mean, what is it? A hundred all-purpose yards. A hundred all-purpose yards from the bench to being one of the most productive players on your roster offensively. 
again, it's a coach making decisions, saying some some of you have to sit, some of you have to play, and I don't care about titles. How far does that go towards winning over and really kind of putting the final solidification on that Jets locker room? No, I think it's very important. And Robert Sella is showing that he doesn't really care, like you said, about pedigree. He doesn't care about, you know, I don't want to say that he doesn't care what the fans think, but he's not going to let his decisions be guided by the fans. I'll say it that way. And that he's going to make decisions based on what they think is going to yield the best results. The Bam Knight thing stunned a lot of people. I didn't understand it. And I like Bam Knight a lot, by the way. I watched a ton of running backs in this past draft because I really thought that the Jets draft one. And I like Bam Knight a lot. I just, to me, I was like, well, I think they really need a bigger guy who can absorb 20 plus carries. And so you look at like Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, guys like that. And they did end up taking Brees Hall. Uh, Isaiah Spiller was another one. Bam Knight, I liked though. And when they got him as an undrafted free agent, I said, this is a hidden gem because not only was he, was he a very productive running back at NC state, but he was, one of the top kick returners, he was one of the top kick returners in the league. So you look at it and you say, okay, well, you know, you can never have enough depth. If Braxton Berrios goes down or something, you've got Bam Knight to do that, and, and he's got the ability to potentially become something as a, a you know, a, a rotational running back. And so what they looked at is they said they, they just didn't see the running game getting the kind of oomph that they needed. And they wanted somebody that could bring a little bit more explosion. And so they decided that they wanted to try Bam Knight. And again, just a couple of weeks ago, they traded for James Robinson. Now, this doesn't mean that James Robinson is never going to be active again or that this is it for him. But it just shows you that Robert Sell is like, look, we're trying to win games here. I understand that Zach Wilson was the number two overall pick, but the locker room is dejected. He's lost the locker room. He's not getting the job done. He's putting us in a position where we can't win games. We have got to go to Zach uh, to uh, Mike White. This is me speaking as Robert Sala, not saying mm-hmm. we. Is. And then, of course, it's the same thing with, with Bam Knight on, on a lower scale because people aren't paying as close attention to that. But it's, okay, we have this guy in James Robinson who we got to be our Brees Hall replacement, but we're just not seeing what we want to see out of him. And we feel like we can get something more out of Bam Knight. So we're going to make that move. Now it'll be interesting because Michael Carter got hurt in this game. And so you wonder if perhaps Bam Knight ends up taking Michael Carter's place for a bit. And James Robinson gets called back up and you have that, th- that trio of running backs, at least with you Bam know Knight, now. Ty Johnson, but at least, you know, now, and you can see it and you have a coach who says, yeah. listen, whether you're the quarterback, whether you're the running back, I'm going to put whoever's doing the best, whoever's practicing the best, whoever looks, whoever I think is putting the work in behind the scenes, they're going to be the person that goes out there. And right. we'll see on a week-to-week basis where we go. Same thing he said about the quarterback at the start of the show. I just think that this, like the production you got out of these two moves, and the, what he had to say and how he handled it, we laughed about it earlier, but realistically, this is what you have to do if you're going to solidify this locker room and really bring things back together. Now, you guys are going to have all kinds of stuff like us to talk about over a Play Like a Jet. Where can our listeners go to find it, and where can they follow you on social media? Yeah, well, this will be interesting, Drew, because the Jets have six games left. Four of them are on the road against teams with winning records right now. You've got Minnesota and the Bills on the road back-to-back. Then two home games against the Lions, who have played a lot better, and the Jaguars, who have played a lot better. And then back-to-back road games to end the season in Seattle and Miami. It's a very tough schedule. So if you're a Bills fan, 
You might even enjoy the schadenfreude of, of listening to Jets fans roller coaster of emotions. Plus, you can also find us on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. We've got our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet, where we have videos up, all 22 reviews from the Thunder from down under Luke Grant. I'm sure we're going to get a Mike White review pretty soon. Mike White, we hope, continues his dominance the way that Roman Reigns has had a two-year stranglehold on the WWE Championship. We hope that Mike White continues that level of success. And then, of course, our store at T-Public. That's T-E-E-Public.com. Guys, as always, appreciate it. And I'm hoping that the Jets take care of business and they go into Buffalo and it becomes a really interesting matchup between the two, the two teams because, obviously, the Bills are going to be looking for revenge. The Jets are going to be looking to solidify their potential playoff spot. And it has all the makings of the most important matchup between these two teams since 2015, I guess. Although this one it has more uh, more importance for both teams than that one. That one really was just important for the Jets. So I, I would have to go back quite a ways since the, the that matchup that we're going to see in a couple of weeks between the two teams would have been as important for both teams. It's going to be exciting down the stretch. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so that brings us to the Buffalo Bills, who beat the Lions 28-25. to Obviously, you've already heard our recap podcast. Uh, our preview show is out with Mark Schofield of SB Nation now. It's weird finally having a job title for him, right? Yeah, it is. Now, you know this, Chris. The Bills are not playing their best and brightest football. And, yes. And By your standards, they're... Well, there's no standards that they could get to where you you personally would be fine with it. I don't know about that. No, no, no. Every, everyone on Twitter knows that you do not like the Bills' offense or quarterback, and there needs to be serious changes. No, the serious changes need to just be that the offensive coordinator needs to, and again, he's a rookie. So this is like me being mad at any rookie, right? Being frustrated with a rookie running back who, but like James also- Cook. Think about this perfect example. James Cook, in that game against Detroit, almost caused an interception. He rolls out of the pocket. He gets to kind of where he's supposed to be. If you looked at just the base route on paper, you say to yourself, that looks like something my running back's supposed to do. You as the running back are looking at it going, well, on paper, according to the playbook, I'm doing the thing I was asked to do. If you actually watch it in execution, he decides that as he's rolling out of the backfield and turning around to face Josh Allen to let him know, like, hey, I'm open as an outlet for you. He then 
kind of jump cuts to his right, even though his quarterback is a right-handed quarterback who's throwing to him. Like, let's say, if nothing else, he throws it to the spot where you were standing. Allen drifts a little bit to the a little bit to the right of the of the intended target. Mm-hmm. But if you're a running back with any sort of pass-catching ability, that's you reaching out, grab that football, turning and running. Instead, he jump cuts to, the, to his right, Allen's left. Allen's not going to throw across his body to you, is he? But you do that anyway, and what you do is you open up a lane for a linebacker who's just standing there to drive on a football, a pass that you should have been there to snag, and it ends up resulting in almost a disaster. I firmly believe that Ken Dorsey has done something similar in a lot of occasions to Josh Allen and to this offense where you're doing the thing, you're drawing up the X's and O's and you're you're, on paper. This looks like it should work. And then in actually like putting the sequence of plays together, what you call the complexity of, hey, how's your running back motion? How is it affecting the linebackers? Is it doing so enough that Dawson Knox can break against the break across the back of an end zone open? So that it's just him against a safety because the linebackers are watching the eye candy the running backs are giving him. Our play calling is not doing him any favors. And it's the same thing here, right? Like, that's the difference. It looks like it's you're doing the right thing, but you're just a hair off. And I want better from a rookie, a rookie offensive running, a rookie running back. I need better from James Cook in that play. A rookie offensive coordinator. I need better all of the time. Definitely in the red zone. Definitely in the red zone, which we talked about in this week's recap show. So while we're sitting here complaining about all the problems with the Bills, there's a there's an alarming number of AFC contenders who are also struggling. If uh, this is a Sunday where Bills fans got to sit back and watch football without our own self-interest involved. And you noticed some things. Now, I'll start with the Chiefs. They look. They've looked really un-Chiefs-like lately. You're at home going up against a first-time starting quarterback who's more of a runner than he is a passer, and a Rams roster that's missing just an incredible number of its best players. It took the Chiefs more than an entire half of football to get a lead of more than a single score. That's not the Chiefs we know, is it? No, it's not. Their offense just looks sluggish. Think back to the Sunday Night Football game against the Texans. They started Malik Willis. And Chris, Google this and tell me if I'm wrong. Did Malik Willis complete more than 10 passes in that game? I don't think he I did. Does not sound right. Usually in a situation like that, Vrabel's going to stick it to Derrick Henry. But also, I don't know if you had seen this because this was an hour ago from Tom Pelissero of NFL Network. The Chiefs are helping out everyone that they play with the remainder of the season. They've signed Melvin Gordon. (laughs) Oh, good. So they have a running back on the roster that I don't know if he's supposed to step in for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. First of all, he's not that guy. Second of all, why? So he can fumble in a really inopportune moment for you? Yeah, but they got that. Who's the guy that they have a running back now? Pacheco. Pacheco. He does really well, and I'm starting to understand why Chiefs fans are, like, watching some of that game. 
I'm starting to understand why Chiefs fans are frustrated with the Chiefs and their usage of that guy. Their offense needs something because they're they're, they're sluggish at times. You know, they're going up against another team with a backup quarterback. And again, they had to go to overtime to beat the Titans in that one. An injury-depleted Chargers roster. It took a last gasp, just, I'm an elite quarterback, and I have an elite skill player, and the two of us are going to get together and beat you. Pretty much what the Bills did to the Lions, that's what the Chiefs had to do in order to beat the Chargers again. Because anything else, they're losing that football game. And then you look on the other side, they're a middling defense that is a really good defensive line. Shows up in all the rankings, right? They're just middle of the road. The offense has to power them through these wins, but they're taking injuries on the line in the running back core at wide receiver, and they just don't look as dominant without having a full a full cast of characters at those positions. Then you look at the Bengals. Bengals might actually be one of the scarier teams in football right now. This passing attack is finally starting to look like what we expected of them, right? Like, you go back over the course of the season, three of their four losses in regulation, they had less than 200 passing yards. If you would bet on Joe Burrow this season, you probably didn't expect him to put up stat lines like that with all of his healthy wide receivers, right? It took. How about this? It took him until week t- week six as a football team to score more than 27 points in any game. Yeah, I don't think Joe Burrow was did much during a training camp in the preseason because he had his appendix removed so he had no time well also he was coming off that ankle injury he took in the super bowl yeah so, and they tried to revamp the offensive line so that everybody takes time to gel yeah everybody takes time to gel so now they've got they've scored 30 or more in four of their last six games they're finally clicking their defense is kind of a liability like that's their achilles heel they're pretty much middle in the pack again like the like the chiefs most statistical categories, they are middle of the pack, and they let their opponents hang around in games. Their last two games against Tennessee and Pittsburgh, two teams that the Bills just stuffed into a fucking gym locker, were settled by less than a single score. Like, okay, your defense is going to let your... Like, you're going to score 37. That's great. Your defense is going to give up 30 to Kenny Pickett. Not great. And then you get the Ravens, who I don't know what the fuck is happening here. I mean, it's it's one of the most curious dynamics right now, Like just as a stat fan. Think about this. Your lines are obviously good on both sides of the ball. You have the league's second-ranked rushing attack, second-ranked rushing defense simultaneously. And yet, you have the 26th-ranked passing attack and the 27th-ranked passing defense simultaneously. They're also the only team in the NFL that have been winning at, by at least 10 in every single one of their losses this season. Every team has a game that they lost where they didn't hold the lead, except for the Ravens. <laughs> they were winning every single one of those games. And, uh, like... Chris, did you did you get to see when you were at work any of that Jacksonville game? No, because it wasn't on locally. Okay, we had on the. I forget we had a different game on they, CBS. Well, well, they cut to it because that game probably ended, the probably the finish. Why well, uh, the Tennessee Titans game ended so fast that when they cut to Baltimore or Jacksonville, there was still ten minutes left in the fourth. Okay, yeah, that. I mean, I got banged by Baltimore on. Moneyline parlay I did. 
Oh, they, they sandbagged you? Well, they sandbagged me, and then but the Chargers, who I also had on my money line, won the same way that Baltimore lost. And then I also had Atlanta in there, and that was a piece of shit <laughs> move. Inside the five with under a minute to go to to take the go for the win, and then Mariota threw an interception. That sounds right. That sounds about right. Yeah. So I, Mar- I got boned. Marcus Peters doesn't look like Marcus Peters. That was my takeaway from that game. He got torched a couple times badly by uh, Jamal Agnew. He looks like Marcus Peters looks like Mark Peters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Their wide receiver group has a spark from Deshaun Jackson, which is the only reason they like were able to hold serve in that game even a little bit. But he's not going to save you long term. And then the big one to me, in 2021, Lamar Jackson had 19 total turnovers in 12 games. He had 13 picks and six fumbles. In 2022, Jackson already has five fumbles, one of which got Jacksonville on the board for the first time yesterday. Seven interceptions, and he's on pace to finish with more overall turnovers than he did last season, which was a career high for him last year in terms of turnovers per game. His performance is trending in a poor direction but i think that's a byproduct chris wouldn't you agree of knowing that there isn't a whole lot of offensive talent on your roster no because they what they traded it away did they traded away hollywood brown in a year where you're like hey we're we, like that's a tank move isn't it yeah but also the utilization of the wide receiver in the passing game isn't what isn't for a greg roman offense no, but then you would think that you want to prioritize getting some other tight end threat other than Mark, Mark and- Andrews, yeah. and you didn't. I don't know. The whole thing is weird. And then Tennessee. I mean, don't don't talk to me about Tennessee. They're the lead horse in the worst division in the AFC. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And the fact that they lost the way that they lost yesterday is fucking hilarious. Yeah, yeah. their best defensive player decides to put a cheap shot on a long snapper. That I did not see. Oh, yeah, no, that's how the game ended. They they forced... Imagine how pissed you'd be if this is the Bills. The Bills just forced an opponent to kick a game, to kick a field goal to give them a seven-point lead. They're going to have a seven-point lead with roughly... What is it? A seven-point lead with about two minutes left, a minute 49. Your offense is going to get the ball back and get a chance to go down and tie the game and force overtime. You're out of timeouts. On the field goal, which is a routine 31-yarder, your best defensive player, Jeff, like for the Bills, it would be like if Ed Oliver were to just absolutely, apropos of nothing, just tee off on the other team's long snapper, which gets flagged for an unsportsmanlike conduct call, 15-yard penalty extends the drive half the distance to the goal, and then the other team just gets to kneel the clock out. And the game ends. Your offense never gets to touch it. How pissed off would you be Knowing that it's supposed to be one of your better players who just cost you the game. Yeah, yeah, I'd be I'd be upset. So looking at that, which of these AFC teams concerns you right now in terms of being a roadblock for Buffalo? Like we talk in our on None this, of them. We talk about the, on this show all the time, the guys in our own division and the roadblocks that they have. What about outside of our division? How many of those teams genuinely concern you in terms of how they do because we might not have a say none of them Cincinnati's the only one we get to play between now and the end of the season yeah none of them are you just doing that thing where you're saying this for brevity you don't actually have any thought put into it no none of them quote unquote scare me 
Because I think we can handle them. Okay, but if we don't get to play them, right? I'm talking about teams that have, right now, by virtue of the fact that we're not a division winner, if we can't get the division lead, we have to go on the road and play one of these teams as the top wild card. Yeah, not worried. Not a single one of them? No. Oh, man. We're going to clip that audio. That's coming back. You so, so Seagram's bet right now, you don't think the Bills would lose a road playoff game to any one of the current four division-holding teams? I mean, they could, but I don't think that they will. What if I said by 10 points, just for the sake of getting the bet 10 the points right now? No. All right. Cause, no, because you'd have to get you'd have to go down to like a field goal. Okay. All right. I play I play bookies betting lines, not Drew Gears. <laughs> Let me give me a huge cushion with ten. No, if they, 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 if anything, that's helping you. I'm trying to get you to make the bet. You think that they could go? I'm going to give you Bills plus ten on the road against any one of these teams, and you're not concerned at all. Yeah, correct. All right. Done and done. Sealed and delivered. So with that, I'm going to bring you our, our rooting interest for this week, brought to you by 538.com, just so hopefully we don't have to get there. Unfortunately, the division went 3-1 and one again for another week, continuing to cement it as one of the league's most competitive. And realistically, there's a chance. There's four teams currently in the playoff picture. There are three AFC teams currently in the playoffs. <sighs> Do you think that there's a world where we could get four? Yeah. Or is there just too much cannibalism down the stretch here with the divisional slate? I think it's possible. For Bills fans, we're going to be watching Kansas City, because Kansas City now leads the NFL in Super Bowl percentage, uh, with the Cowboys, Bills, and Eagles all rounding out the double-digit Super Bowl odds teams. Kansas City can clinch a playoff berth and the AFC West this week with a victory over the Bengals. And just stupid losses by the Titans and the Ravens have softened up the road for Buffalo to kind of hold this. I mean, we currently only hold coin flip odds to win the division, and we're the only team with double-digit Super Bowl odds who doesn't have like a make-the-playoff percentage of over 99%, which tells you that we still need a little bit of help. These are who we're rooting for this week. The Bengals over the Chiefs. And this is one of the few tough games left on the schedules for Kansas City. This is one of the last tough games on the schedule for Kansas City. And we, the Bills, we need them to stumble. Even just for one week, if we're ever going to catch up with them. We're running out of time to get it done. Since he's getting healthier, Mixon and Chase are going to rejoin the roster this week. Meanwhile, Kansas City is taking injury hits kind of at the same pace the Bills have been. So it's entirely possible that with some luck, since he can hold serve at home despite being three-point underdogs on their home turf. Now, Chris, would you take that bet? Since he's a home dog against Kansas City. I would probably take Cincinnati. You're going to take Cincinnati with the points? I probably would. The reason you're hoping for this, by and large, is just because we get to hold our, like, then we hold serve. Because we still get to play the Bengals. If the Bengals win this game, all of a sudden, that Monday night football game becomes huge in terms of playoff implications and seeding implications. I mean, that, that, yeah. that might be one of the more watched Monday night football games of the entire season at that point. Which is still weird to me thinking about the Bills playing in primetime and genuinely, like, league-wide meaningful games. 
The 49ers, obviously we need them to beat the Dolphins. It's kind of in the same vein. The, the Dolphins don't have a whole lot of tests coming up this season besides Buffalo. If there was a place that they might stumble, this game might be it. I, it for all the reasons, you know, we're going to talk to Elf here in a minute about this, but there's a lot of reasons that this seems like it should make sense. There's You're talking about coaches, for, for what, coach, former assistant. There's always intrigue there. You're talking about two teams that are currently leading their divisions. There's intrigue there. Like, this should be the primetime game, shouldn't it? Yeah, or, well, yeah, you can flex it to Sunday night, or you'd hope they, they would do that, but... You'd hope. Yeah. But I'm, unfortunately, they're going to subject us to Jeff Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if we'll get to watch it, like, locally. Hmm. Because it's a 405 start. We're not playing, but you're allotted three games on local television, either two on CBS or one on Fox. Or one on CBS, two on Fox. They won't give you four. You'll get mm. you'll get three. So it's the Chiefs and Bengals on CBS. Mm-hmm. And then 49ers and Dolphins, I believe, are on CBS. I think that's a Fox game. All right. They might get... That's a Fox game. I believe that's a Fox game. Then they'll probably... If I had to guess... Even then, it's a pain in the ass. You're going to put them both on TV at the same time? Then if I had to guess, we'll we'll get uh, one game at 1 o'clock. Yeah. I bet we'll have Dolphins locally here in Buffalo. I bet we'll have Dolphins 49ers on Fox, Chiefs and Bengals on CBS, and then uh, Jets and Vikings on CBS. On Sunday. I'll take that, though. Yeah. That, that's not a bad morning of football, to be honest. And then I think the big thing is just the, the injuries on the offensive line for the Dolphins. That's one that could really come back to haunt them in this game. Like, I know they're talking about Teron Armstead maybe trying to practice, but... And it's just... Like, you saw it. Houston hit almost five sacks on two in a real short time span. As soon as Tron Armstead went out, that offensive line is incredibly thin. The, like, you saw Buffalo's depth get tested against uh, Detroit. Mm-hmm. Well, we invested in that depth. The Dolphins are still trying to figure it out, so that game becomes very interesting. Vikings-Jets. Vikings-Jets, we already talked to Scott about everything that's going on there. That's another game where you're kind of hoping that you can get some NFC help. Yeah. You need as much separation as you can get because that, that boosts your chances down the stretch. And also, is Mike White real? He is real. I mean, he exists. I know that. Is he actually this quarterback? Because I feel like I've seen this movie before. Whole play to that standard. You think so? Yeah. Probably not against the Bills. You, you want to make another bet? Uh, for what? No, I'm cooking one up now. Give me until the end of the show. I'll see if I can come up with another bet for you on this Vikings-Jets game because you're really, you really think Mike White's real? You think that this production is... Yeah, he is real. But then you're also... It's also Kirk Cousins at 1 o'clock. So I also like Kirk Cousins in that situation. <laughs> Kirk Cousins not primetime? Correct. So those are your rooting interests. Those are your rooting odds. I, that's it. Those are the games that I'm most focused on, and I think it do the most for us outside of our own matchup this week in terms of the playoff picture. 
It'll be interesting to see how the deck falls. And so with that, we close the show as we've had to for the last month and a half with, or at least that's what it feels like, talking about the Miami Dolphins and Alf Artiaga from three yards per carry. First of all, watch it as a Bills fan, watching Jerry Hughes blow up on the sideline, kicking over coolers. Was that on the primary broadcast? Did they show that? Jerry Hughes's meltdown yeah, showed, in your win over Hughes. Yeah, they showed it on the on the primary broadcast. It was after the the first touchdown, I believe. Now you're pretty familiar, and all of our years, you know, our teams playing each other, all the years that Jerry Hughes was on the roster here playing you guys. Did you ever see anything like that out of him? <laughs> no, no. But but he was having he was having a hard time in that game. Uh, I believe he was he was complaining about some cut blocks early on in the game, and then of course uh, they get beat for that touchdown. And evidently he he was trying to get somebody into position on the defensive line. He ends up rushing against Teron Armstead. Teron Armstead kind of stones him, and then uh, after I, I guess he was upset with how they lined up and how they exposed him out on the edge, essentially doing nothing. Oh, okay, all right. Well, you know, but uh, he was also complaining about some cuts like and we do cut block a lot uh, on our team. You know, we're an outside zone running team. So, well, yeah, you we're going to we're, we're cut people a lot, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's just it, it makes me sad. Chris doesn't isn't a little depressing to just see like Jerry Hughes outside of his one altercation with a referee after the game, like pretty much consummate pro football player, right? For the most part, but he does love the unnecessary roughness or unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. That's usually his bag. Yeah, but you know what? I'll take that. I'm all right. He's a he's a guy who did his job to the best of his ability every for all, the entire time he was here. I just thought it was so uncharacteristic. I'm like, what the hell did you guys do to this guy? <laughs> what happened here? So you guys crush Houston thirty to fifteen. Pass rush, like just another dominant showing from the Miami Dolphins pass rush. Uh, you, again, just run away when you look at the box scores, but there's still storylines here, even though you just basically blew the doors off these guys. First of all, controversy over leaving Tua in the game too long. Do you think there's any merit to that? No, I think there's a controversy about going into halftime and talking about benching him right away because it, it seemed to have taken a real effect on the team. I talked about this already. We, we kind of recorded uh, half of our podcast already uh, for, for Monday, and I talked to Simon about this. They discuss, And Tua talked about it after the game. They discussed that halftime. Their entire halftime adjustments were about who's sitting in the second half. When you start talking about things like that in the se- in, in, at halftime, first of all, I think it's disrespectful to the game and disrespectful to your opponent. Second of all, you know what kind of message is your team getting? Of course, you're going to come out flat and you're going to look lethargic in the second half. And that's why you lose a second half 15 to nothing. You <laughs> know? I, that's what I was going to say. Like, that's an interesting. It was kind of a wrinkle that I, I noticed. I go, all right, they're, they're obviously blowing through this. And then you start watching the box score and you go, wait, they all right. They shaved it in half. They were never in danger of losing. But also now your quarterback's out there taking some shots. Like, what's happening <laughs> Yeah, it was odd. Uh, first of all, Teron Armstead left the game with an injury, right? And then uh, Austin Jackson was dealing with an an- ankle. So now he's shuffling in and out. And then they decided, okay, Brandon Shell's been playing well at right tackle. 
he didn't start the game at right tackle because Austin Jackson did. So now let's move Austin, let's move Brandon Shell to the left tackle. <laughs> and it was it was a complete mess. Uh, Tua played two two series where they tried to do that run run pass stuff, you know, which never works no. when it's obvious that you're just trying to get the the running. You know, might as well just go to the and ask for running clock. Okay, <laughs> if this is what you want to do. You know, the other team is a professional team. They, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed by what you're doing. So they start blitzing, and there was some miscommunications, and Tua took essentially three big hits. And they decided, you know what, the hell with this. <laughs> and, and they benched him with, like, nine minutes left in the third quarter. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, wait a minute, we're going to Skylar Thompson? Because, by the way, Teddy Bridgewater's been injured for the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. He got hurt in practice. You know, you hardly ever hear about that, right? Somebody getting hurt in practice, but we were talking about it. We hearing it a lot. We were talking about it in the run up to the Browns game, Greg Newsom. And I'll tell you what, for what it's worth, like, because we were talking about all the Bills, like how the Bills and Browns, when they play each other, play each other, it's a travesty every time. There's some sort of nonsense associated with every time those teams get together. The game itself this time was actually pretty clean. But in the run up to it, you've got a guy who somehow in a walkthrough gets himself concussed. Misses the game, not only misses the game, but didn't practice or play in this week's game. How do you get hurt that badly in a walkthrough? Like that, it, 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 it almost seems impossible, and yet it's happening. If you're going to plan on on benching people at halftime and then playing a mop up duty quarterback, you better make sure you have a capable mop up duty quarterback. And Skylar Thompson was absolutely awful in this game. Uh, I understand people saying, okay, you can't evaluate him off of that game. Because he was actually pretty good against the the Minnesota Vikings when he started and then broke his thumb, but he was absolutely he couldn't hit people like they were calling they were calling very very simple things for him, like you know we we're doing that run run pass thing again, but you know he was having to complete third and four third and three it wasn't like third and eighteen or anything like that you know and they were giving him simple throws to make and he was just missing people. See, and that's the danger. Remember, we, t- we that's why you and I laughed during the, after the preseason when people were like, Skylar Thompson should be the starter. It's like, guys, do you understand how stupid that is? Th- you want this guy to be your starter? That? Because that is unfortunately what happens when these guys get to this level in a real game scenario, going up against the worst team in the NFL's starters. Like, that's what they look like, because it's how hard this league is to play quarterback competently at. So you go into this situation where you're kind of running out the clock. You're kind of giving some things up. I guess one of the things I took away from this was just you're talking about the run, run, pass, and why it didn't work. I mean, I'm looking at this. You, guys, I thought that, and I saw your tweets. I heard, listened to your podcast. You guys talked about thumping the Browns and using the rushing attack to get it done and how that game was kind of being taken as a signal that, hey, our rushing attack is for real. Like, we can actually make this thing a dual-threat offense with all the creative wrinkles we have. This is going to be one of the most threatening offenses. And then against one of the worst rush defenses in football, everything kind of withered up for you guys. Is that a byproduct of just the – is that the state of the offensive line? Is that not having Raheem Mostert? Like, how much of this what, – what, what do you point to? And all that. It was a little bit of all of that, but it, it, it was also the play calling. Uh, if you notice, two essentially played a half and threw for 300 yards in the first half. The reason you can throw for 300 yards in the first half is because you throw it 36 times. <laughs> okay. So, the, you know, their, their, their balance was completely out of whack. 
not having Raheem Mostert definitely gave it a different look. Uh, all of a sudden, you're running it with Miles Gaskin, and it you know it doesn't look all, all, all that great. Uh, Jeff Wilson left the game with cramps, you know, and then of course the offensive line issue. So it was a little bit of everything, you know. I would expect that you know now that Mostert should be coming back this this week. Uh, it should look a little bit differently, but of course, you know, Armstead is out, so. We'll see what they do on the offensive line. They signed another guy today. They signed Kendall Lamb, who's a, a guy who was on, I believe, Detroit's uh, practice squad. Uh, he has a good reputation as a pass blocker, which is a good thing, I guess. Yeah, it's something. And you guys are really going to have to shuffle the deck up there, though. And I guess that's one of the key takeaways ahead of the game that you have in front of you. You guys are about to go out west. You've got these three games that you feel pretty good about some of them. Are you guys going to stay out west? Yeah, they're staying out west. Uh, it's not clear if they're going to stay in Los Angeles or in San Francisco, but they're they're leaving on Thursday and not come, and they're coming back after the Chargers game to prepare for the Bills game in Buffalo. <laughs> you you know what they probably don't want to do is advertise where they are, just in case I don't know somebody gets a you know, <laughs> somebody gets the bright idea to tape their walkthrough. I can't believe that shit happened to you guys. Like, I still laugh about that. Like, how how did this happen? Yeah, I, I hope that doesn't happen this time. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure if they use a Stanford facility, they have a bubble. So that's a good thing. Right? Okay. All right. Yeah, see, so that's what I was going to say. It depends on where they're going to be allowed to practice, where that, but I'm sure they've There's already no Stanford football right now, right? Okay. Yeah. So... I, I guess the thing is, you're going up against this team in your next game. You guys are underdogs, despite all the offensive success, because you're going on the road. Your offense and your defense has been a little bit different on the road than it has been at home. And I think, more importantly, the loss of Teron Armstead and Austin Jackson. Now, Austin Jackson may be fine, but we already know Teron Armstead's going to miss some time. What's the story on this? Because we know, I mean, just in this game alone, I'm looking at it. Armstead leaves the, leaves the game. In less than a single quarter, Tua gets sacked four times. <laughs> and then, luckily, the Texans get called for a penalty. Otherwise, it would have been a fifth sack that he was credited with. But those are some hits that your quarterback is sustaining. And you're about to go play a team with one of the Bosa brothers on it. You're about to go play a team with a pretty aggressive front seven when it wants to be. When you think about what these injuries mean for the game plan now and how you guys are going to have to change coming into the next contest... What do you think goes on there? Who do you think steps steps up where? And what do you think the team's game plan is going to have to be? Well, they're going to obviously make some changes as far as their personnel groupings. Like their, more, their most prolific personnel grouping is their 11 personnel, meaning they have Gasecki out there with Sherfield and then the two wide receivers. Okay. So that's their most prolific uh, personnel grouping. But Mike McDaniel likes to get to the 21 personnel, which is when they bring in Alec Ingold. The, the fullback. Mm-hmm. So you're going to try to disguise things and protect the offensive line with those, with that personal grouping. So expect Allen to play a lot. Uh, as far as Teron Ty- Armstead's health, uh, he's been gradually getting better from the, the initial reports. The initial reports were, oh, this doesn't. And we had people telling us privately, like, you know what? I don't know if this looks good, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know what? It's looking a little bit better than to that report late yesterday which which came out and said no you know what he's actually not that bad off you know he just has a strain he could be out a couple of weeks to today where there's some scuttlebutt that he's going to attempt 
to practice to try to play the following week, which was against the, the Chargers. So I guess he's definitely out this week. But I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, a lot of the coaches are saying we wouldn't put it past him to have him try to make it a go. Although I would, I, I would caution against that. I would say, you know, th- th- their investment in him is too big just to go out there to, to risk him against the 49ers, especially with the bill coming up, Chargers coming up, bigger games coming up. So with that in mind, it's going to be interesting. And it's also bullshit. We talked about it a little just just earlier in our segment about how it's horseshit that they're putting your game on in the same window as the Chiefs game. Like, what are you doing to people? Like, these are the games that petty ass fans like us want to watch. We want to hate watch both the Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. I don't understand why the football schedules are stealing this away from us. I, let me ask you. Let me ask you something because we had some insight on this. We were reporting on this on OnlyFans and on our podcast. the The NFL had on their on their table, okay, on the plate, and maybe it's because they want to flex and they're going to flex. By the way, Dolphins Bills on December eighteenth, yeah, Sunday night, like that's happening. But maybe that's why. But they had it in their hands if they wanted Forty Niners Dolphins. <laughs> On Sunday Night Football or Colts Cowboys, what's a sexier matchup? <laughs> it, it, but, but Chris, Colts Cowboys. Uh, I want to watch Jeff Saturday coach in primetime. See, that, and, and again, this is Chris here. So Chris isn't saying this from uh, X's and O's. I want to see a really interesting, decisive. He goes, "No, I want to watch the former analysts come out here against a team that's." probably going to end up with a really high playoff seed playing a team that should catch a shovel in the face because that's who we are. We enjoy that kind of stuff. There's something to it. Yeah. I, I would have thought that that was a really sexy matchup to have uh, the, the apprentice go up against, you know, the teacher, you know, Shanahan versus his, his pupil, you know, two teams that are extremely similar in how they run their offenses. You know, I thought I thought it would have made a lot of sense. You know, Tua in prime time, but nah, they said nah. Keep you guys at four o'clock. We want to sit. We, we want we want this Colts Cowboys matchup. Yeah, and for all we know, the well, what they'll do is they'll end up flexing that break the, the week that we're supposed to play each other on the eighteenth. For all we know, they'll take the Browns and flex them into prime time. Why? Because the NFL secretly just hates us all. <laughs> they secretly just <laughs> yeah. hate us all. Elf. Once again, for as long as you guys were, your run here, this is really unprecedented. Like I said, this is the first time in the history of the show that the Bills haven't just kind of hung out on first on top of the division all season. You guys have had a run here. It's been like a month, I think, almost an entire month of you guys holding the top spot and you getting the final say as we end this podcast. This this road trip's going to decide where that goes. If in three weeks we're getting together and you guys are still on top, that's it. Like, you guys are going to be hosting a playoff game. It, is it crazy to think that you guys are this close? Well, yeah, I, I would guarantee if they sweep this road trip, I, absolutely, they're going to be hosting a playoff game. And they probably will have the one seed if that happens. But for now, I think that their goal is their goal has changed. Okay. As the team, as as they've watched the team and as they built this team and after, as they made the trades at the deadline, the previous goal was to split out West. And I think now their ambitions are a little bit bigger, a little a little bit larger. 
they want to sweep those, those two games in California. You know, I, I hate to, you know, to shit talk any any other fan base or any other mm. team. I don't fear the Chargers at all. Like, I kind of expect a win against the Chargers. So, we consider this 49er game like the big one out west. If we take the 49er game, then, yeah, a sweep of the West Coast trip is what, you know, is coming. Mm. But, yeah, it's all, it's all pointing at December 18th game, you know. And if you want, if you want a little bit of grace or a little bit of, you know, slack, then yeah, you got to sweep this 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 West Coast trip. Don't sweep this West Coast trip. You know, they have a little slack in that December eighteenth game. Well, I can't wait till we get there. Where can everybody find your work on social, and where can they find your podcast? As always on Twitter, you can find us at the number three yards per carry, and you can get our podcast anywhere. You get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, and that's also the number three yards per carry. Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason, Alf Artiaga, Mean Street Posse of the <laughs> AFC East. Mean Street Posse. I do remember the name. Walk me through this. Who was the Mean Street Posse? Uh, I forget their names, but they were like Shane McMahon's henchmen. They came from the mean streets of Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> and they wore they wore sweater vests. That's awesome. And look they looked like they worked they looked like they were bouncers at Abercrombie and Fitch. God. Now I'm gonna go Google this. They were the best. Did did they win or were they just funny? They're just funny. They were the henchmen for Shane McMahon. They did all his dirty work. That's awesome. Dude, everybody needs a good henchman, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at this, and I think I found our Mike White bet. Another Seagram's bet, or shot a moonshine bet. All right. Double shot a moonshine bet. Ah, this is all your fault. <laughs> I can't believe he did this to us. Yeah, he turned us loose with some of the, so, some of the. I don't even know what you want to call it, Chris. The most legitimate moonshine I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, it's it's aggressive. The last three games: Bills, Cowboys, Patriots. The Vikings defense has given up over three hundred yards passing to each one of these guys. Uh, three sixty four to the Patriots. Yeah. To the Patriots. And Mac Jones, who, what do you think? Is Mac Jones a good quarterback? No. Is he an average quarterback? He is to the quarterback what you are to a podcast host. (laughs) Wildly unprofessional? Yes. All right. So, Mike White. What is Mike White to the quarterback position? Mike White is competent. Okay, so if he's a competent he's quarterback. He's reasonable. So if he's a competent quarterback and he's reasonable. Which you are not. I'll shave off 15 yards just because it's still his second game in the NFL this season. 350 yards passing, Lynn. 350. No. 325. No. How, how where, where would I have to set this? Because you seem to think he's great. Allen threw for 311. Dak Prescott threw for 307. He, you think he's real. What's the line? How many yards will he have to throw for in this game? 300. 
Okay, so 300 plus? Yeah, I'm going to see if any of those bets are uh, available, at least on FanDuel or DraftKings, if the Mike White passing yards is up. I highly doubt it because these apps are so goddamn hard to use. It's easier just to go down to the casino and place a bet on the kiosk. It's very easy. Even you can do it. Okay, so I'm looking right now. Mike White passing. He had one, two, three, four, five, six attempts of more than 10 yards downfield. Now, against a struggling Bears defense, one, two, three, four, five, six. He threw three touchdown passes on those attempts. I give him that. But the majority, the gross majority of his volume was made up within that 10-yard window. They sparingly allowed him to take take opportunities and shots down the field. So, with that in mind, what do you think? What are you thinking? So, in this game, he threw 315 and three touchdowns with no picks. Yeah. He has a good... You think he can repeat that? 315? He has a good shot to get over 300 yards. All right. So, then let's call it 315 so it's competitive. He has to replicate what he just did. No. Why not? 300 yards. All right, fine. Fuck it. 300 yards. Seagram's bet. Your bet. The listeners have it. It's, it's, it's done and done. I can't wait. Because, Chris, these guys, what? You don't just all of a sudden become a routine 300-yard passer in the NFL after riding pine. That's, yeah. not a, that's not a real thing that happens in the NFL. None of the apps have passing yards listed yet. Yeah, probably because it's a really stupid bet, which is why <laughs> which is why I'm roping you into it. Yeah, I <laughs> I think Mike White can get 300 yards again. All right. Done. Yeah. Folks, Because that's a reasonable line. It's like over under 375. <laughs> what? I said 315. What? You think you You started a- at 350, okay. which is wildly unreasonable. Because that's what negotiating is, dickhead. Have you never negotiated? You always start higher than you think you're actually going to get. And then you find a common middle ground. Yeah, which is 300. <laughs> oh, I love you. Uh, I can't wait, folks. Hopefully this thing ends with Chris getting one step closer to diabetes. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.